0: Amen. All of God's people say thank you, Lord. Lord. And thank you, team. Pastor Hughes tells a story that he heard from a college professor when he was in college. He's about my age, so he's been many years ago. And his college professor told this story, English professor, true story of her family. She was one of five sisters growing up in a small town in Midwest during the Depression time. Her father, in spite of all the difficulties of the Great Depression, and yet he succeeded and became a successful banker. She went off to university, but all the four sisters stayed home, got married, and stayed close to home. And she too got married, but she moved to the West Coast where she was teaching. Fast forward several decades, her aged father died. And as soon as she and her husband heard the news, they immediately made preparation to come back home for the funeral. As they were comforting her aged but grieving mother, now widowed. They noticed something that stunned them, really stunned them. She and her husband just could not believe it. To their amazement, they noticed that everything in the house, all the furniture, everything was tagged with a tag with the names of the four sisters on each different item. Judy, Margaret, whatever their names were. She and her husband were not only appalled, but they were devastated. At dinner time, tension around the table was so thick that you could cut it with a knife. In the middle of this terrible tension, And very awkward conversation, interspersed with periods of really kind of acrimonious silence, suddenly, her husband got up from the dinner table and stood behind his mother-in-law, and he said, every one of you have tagged what you want to have. We're going to tag her. And he put his hand on her shoulders. We want to take her and take care of her. Now, beloved, I want to tell you, having ministered in more than one continent, I know I have seen how greed is always ugly, always. Covetousness is the root of all pain, and sorrow, and worry, and anxiety. We began a series of messages entitled Enduring Wisdom from the Gospel of Luke. And then the last message in the first 12 verses of chapter 12, we saw how to overcome hypocrisy. And we saw that hypocrisy is when you try to appear to be what you're not and our Lord Jesus Christ turns after a debate, heated debate with the Pharisees, and he looked at the disciples. He said, the cure for hypocrisy is to focus and is to honor God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And right in the middle of this intense teaching and intense debate with the Pharisees, masses of people around, a knucklehead, That's probably the best way I can describe him. A knucklehead says, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. I mean, if you read the passage carefully, you, you, you almost feel how incredulous Jesus feels about this. What? What's this got to do with what I'm saying? You want me to do what? Who set me a judge? But that gave Jesus an opportunity to teach them, his disciples particularly, that's his focus, the disciples, to teach them to guard against another deadly sin. So I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke 12. We're going to be spending about a total of two, four messages on that chapter. Luke 12, verses 13 to 34. And again, if you don't have your own Bible, the Pew Bible, page 1617, 1617 in the Pew Bible, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God, and then I'll have you read it because that's how you allow the Word of God to seep into your hearts and your minds. As often I do, I'm going to read the very first verse, and then I'll let you take it from there. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Holy Spirit, you authored the words that uttered by the God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we ask you, in the name of Jesus, to take those words, apply them to our lives and our hearts. Lord God, that we would make a a total change, that we would live by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. In many ways, hypocrisy, which we looked at in the last message, and greed belong to two different realms of life, two different areas of our life. And yet, they're both very essential. Those realms are very essential for our existence. Hypocrisy belongs to the spiritual realm, while greed belongs to the material realm. These two sins are closely related. False religion is the love of biblical error. Greed is the love of having more and more and more and more and more. People can be deceived by false teaching, just as they can be deceived by false materialism. Today, of course, we're actually seeing this with our own eyes, and we're seeing the connection between the the false teaching and the so-called prosperity gospel. And the Pharisees at the time of Jesus were up to their eyeballs in both sins. This man that Jesus uh, interrupted Jesus' teaching (laughs) (laughs) could not wait for Jesus to finish what he's talking about from the spiritual realm so he can get to his crass materialism. By the way, I want to make something very clear before I get to the passage. I want to make something very, very clear, very clear. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. Did you get that? I challenge you to to find me a passage anywhere in the scripture that says money is evil. (laughs) This is the problem. We, We get so confused that we don't understand the scripture in its true sense. It is what you do with money that can be evil or can be for good. The Bible makes it very clear that what is evil is the love of money. What is evil? is the greed for wanting more and more and more and never satisfied and never being rich toward God. Now, while I'm at it, while I'm at it, since I already stepped on some of your toes, uh, so let me continue, okay? And now I'm going to ask for your forgiveness later. Some of you, I think the majority of you will understand what I'm going to (laughs) say. This so-called social justice that is preached from many a pulpit today is not biblical. In fact, social justice as it is preached today is a blatant form of greed. (laughs) Taking money by force is a form of greed. (laughs) Politicians who preach this gospel of social justice It's their way of taking money by force, money that's not theirs, to line up their own pockets. Listen, we have seen politicians who are not worth $2, and when they left office, they're worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. These are the preachers of social, the, 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 the social justice. Now, there is a biblical way, but theirs is unbiblical. The biblical way is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. Appeal, that is an important word. The Apostle Paul is writing to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy, and he says to him, appeal to the rich of this world, not to be arrogant and place your hope on uncertain riches, but to be rich toward God. This is the biblical way. The apostle Paul is teaching us what he really read and learned about what Jesus said in Luke 12. Hear me right, please. The Bible never forbids possessing of money or possessions. Deuteronomy 8:18. 8, from the very beginning, it is God who gives you power to make wealth. In the Bible, There were so many godly men and and women who were wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Boaz, Job, (laughs) Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus' body was buried in his tomb. And the list goes on and on and on. And yet, listen to me, the Bible is merciless on the love of money, on those who love their wealth and those who worship and are obsessed with money and their wealth, those who worry themselves sick because of the accumulation, and they want to accumulate and accumulate. Solomon, who was the richest man in his time, richest man in the world in his time, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. In Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, he said, wealth certainly, certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward heaven. With those two eyes, I have seen this happen more than once. Please listen to me. Love of money creates unbelievable amount of pain. Ask Achan, the son of Kami, In Joshua chapter 7, he will tell you the pain of the love of money. Ask Balaam in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 all the way to 24. He will tell you the pain that love of money brings. Delilah for money sold and and betrayed Samson. Judas Iscariot for the love of money betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is in the pit of hell right now. The love of money causes people not only become arrogant, but they forget God. The love of money causes people to lie, steal, cheat, and compromise even their own convictions. The Bible is very clear about the love of money, not money, the love of money. Throughout the Scripture, throughout the Scripture, you see it, always leads to pride. Pride. Certainly here, the Lord Jesus Christ links the love of money to the sin of worry. (laughs) They go together. They go together. Look at verse 15 of Luke 12, as we have just read. Jesus again focuses on his disciples. He gets over discussion with that knucklehead about the question, and he said, hey, I'm not going to be your judge. And then he goes on to the disciples, he looks at at them, and he said, now you beware and be on your guard against all forms of greed. In fact, this is the opposite of a Hollywood movie in which the term greed is good repeated several times. Look at verse 15 with me. Here's a literal translation. Real life is not really dependent on excessive materialism. That's really the literal translation. That's a literal translation. Beloved, a fulfilled life, a satisfying life, a joyful life is not dependent on how much you accumulate. The joyful life, the fulfilled life comes from knowing that you are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And to illustrate this point, the Lord Jesus gives him a parable. Now, everybody, I'm talking about the Bible translations, different translations. I always call call this rich fool. Now, but I want you to listen carefully because you need to kind of really analyze it and look at it carefully. The land that this man owned is very productive. And you want to say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. What a wonderful blessing. Right? Hello? Yes. There is no suggestion that this man gained his blessings uh, through dishonest gain or or that he did something wrong. No, 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 no. Beloved, listen to me. It is not a crime, it's not a sin to be successful, except in the eyes of the greedy socialists, right? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. This man has been blessed of God. Praise God. It's wonderful. He's got a a bumper crop. Isn't that great? I mean, this is really so far so good, so far so wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. I have a great deal of respect to farmers. I really do. I have all my life. I have a great deal of respect for farmers, and I have many farmers' friends, and I'll tell you, because they depend on God for their success. (laughs) They know that God is the one who controls the weather, that God has controlled the market, God controls everything. Only after all of this part of of the parable that Jesus gives that you begin to see the foolishness of this man, you see, So far, so great, so good. So instead of praising God and saying, God bless you, thank you, Lord, thank you for your blessings to me, now that I can share these blessings with others. Thank you, Lord, now I'm going to be rich toward God. Thank you, Lord, now I can help others. Thank you, Lord, now I can contribute to your work around the world. Now I can give to the less fortunate. Thank you, praise you, God. No, instead of that, he started getting worried about how to hoard it, how to keep it, how to hoard it all, how to accumulate it. And he was worried probably that his crop will flood the market and drive the prices down. (laughs) And so, instead of sharing, his selfish indulgence had him tear down his old small barns and build big ones. But even that, listen to me, I want you to listen carefully, even that is not the core of the problem. That is, that is not the… I think, listen to me, this is my personal opinion, so do it, with, do it with it whatever you want to do. In my opinion, I think businesses need to plan ahead for the future. I think all businesses need to create space for growth. I think all businesses need to plan on hiring more people and provide jobs for people and their families. But that's not what happened with our friends here, with our friend. In fact, he used the word my four times. He used the word I eight times. I, my, my, now I want to say my, my, my. (laughs) Now I can't help but interject something personal here. (laughs) And I always warn you when something is my opinion or personal, I think this is the only place in the New Testament where the Bible recognizes retirement. (laughs) Unfavorably. (laughs) Disapprovingly. I know the Bible talks about old age or even slowing down, but I am convinced the Bible does not recommend pampered retirement, luxurious retirement, lazy retirement, do-nothing retirement. Okay, I already got in trouble with everybody in the congregation. This man's selfish indulgence was what earned him the term fool. He said, I will say to myself, (laughs) self, live it up. (laughs) Now, beloved, listen to me. We all self-talk, okay? We all self-talk. If you don't raise your hand, I know we all self-talk. Some people even self-talk faster than others. (laughs) But the question is, When you self-talk, what do you talk about? I, my, me, or him, his glory, his honor, my witnessing for him? That is the question you must always ask yourself. And when you get going into this, stop. Where's God? And begin to talk to him. The word fool here, aphron in the Greek, is often referred to somebody who's mindless mindless, somebody who's lacking in sense, Uh, someone who is totally ignorant of the facts, somebody who's totally lacking knowledge of the truth. And you know that, and I know, that we have an overabundance of these in public life today. Overabundance. That's why I turned the news off four months ago, and I have not missed it. I can get the headline in three, in two minutes from my iPhone. I, I don't need to listen to these. Well, I'm not going to use that because it could be a, a temptation to sin. <laughs> Whatever they are, empty heads talking about something that they don't even know anything about. This man foolishly had forgotten God and God's ownership, not just of his crop, but the very breath. That he has. And that is why the Bible said the fool says in his heart, he's a self talk again, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Please listen to me. There is no greater fool than the person who does not prepare for the life to come. That is the ultimate in foolishness. So what is the answer? Verse 21. Where the answer? To be rich toward God is to store up treasures in heaven. Himirat, he please. This is important. The location of your treasure reveals our true condition or the true condition of our hearts. Being rich toward God indicates the degree of our love for God, and the degree of our love. For God is expressed in true worship. As the, 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 the music team know this, and we talk about this, how inaccurate it is to refer to singing, just singing as worship. Everything else not the, just the singing word. Anybody can sing. Hello. Some friend of mine said years ago, he said, the, the songs we sing sometimes make more liars <laughs> of people, and there are some songs I keep my mouth shut, I can't sing because I'm not going to lie. Anyone can sing, but only those who know how to sacrificially give of themselves, how to sacrificially give of their soul. only they are true worshipers. And that's why the Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise and worship. The cure for foolishness and for sinful materialism and for greed. Is not social justice as it's spouted by so many thoughtless people around, but to give of ourselves sacrificially. But there's more, there's more. Don't think I'm finished yet, I haven't started my sermon. <laughs> have you ever asked yourself, have you ever asked, I have, and, and I'm telling you, because I read statistics, and I, I follow these things that happen, force of habit from my degree when I studied sociology. So, I follow the statistics. Have you ever thought the poorest among us, I'm talking about the poorest among us, the poorest in the West, in an America, live much better off than kings lived 200 years ago? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And have you asked yourself the question, why? Why we are in a pinnacle of affluence, indulgence, and creature comfort? And I love my creature comfort. Don't misunderstand me. (laughs) While we are at the apex of this, and yet our society is also at the pinnacle of stress, anxiety, worry, and depression, Today, suicide is rampant. Now, psychologists give us labels on all these forms of worry. Obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attack, post-traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety disorder, general anxiety disorder. These are just handles. Not to mention all the phobias that are on the increase. Beloved, anxiety afflicts tens of millions of people, and it's a huge business. (laughs) Listen, I'm not against medicine. God knows my indebtedness to those in the medical profession. God only in heaven knows my indebtedness to them. I thank God for them every day, and those who are my friends here in this church, they, they know that. But we have reached a level like never experienced in history, Half of the population of the United States and half of the population of the United Kingdom suffer from anxiety. Only 20 years ago was less than 15%. Think about that. In fact, worry is defined, let me give you a definition of worry, okay? It's a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel where other thoughts are drained. Do you want me to repeat that? It's a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel where other thoughts are drained. Listen to me. <laughs> I think we all, to a certain degree, experience worry, everybody to a certain degree. The difference between those who nurse a worry and those who don't is your focus on God. And as I'm going to show you in the passage in a minute. As I said, I haven't got to the sermon yet. <laughs> I'd like some, for some of you to panic. <laughs> but I even, I really love people who have a sense of humor about worry. I mean, I, I find myself always joking about it because that's what you should do. Joke about worry. Don't. If you take it seriously, you're going to be sick. And the more sick you get, the more worried you become. <laughs> I, I read the story not long ago about this dear lady who just could not sleep at night because she believed that she's going to be burgled in the middle of the night. And she just couldn't sleep. Had a, a, a stays awake. Everything happens. She wakes up and stays awake. No matter what her husband said to her, Honey, I'm here, and all of that. Maybe that would panic some more. But, <laughs> but but she just couldn't sleep. I mean, no matter what. Ten years. Think about it. Ten years of that. Ten years later, her husband heard some noise downstairs, so he goes downstairs, and sure enough, there's a burglar there. And he calmly kind of says to him, "Hi there." <laughs> I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Please come upstairs and meet my wife. <laughs> she has been waiting for you for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 22 <laughs> For this reason, and some translations said, therefore. What reason? always remember I said, if you find therefore, you find out what is therefore for. (laughs) The reason of not being like this foolish man, for this reason, for not being like this foolish man who did not know the true God, who did not trust in the promises of God. He said, don't be like him. Don't be like him. And when you're not like him, you have absolutely no reason in the world to worry about your needs. Think about this. Think about this. Think, think about this with me, please. Jesus speaking to people at the time, and check me out on this. They barely had enough food and clothes. I mean, they're not in affluent society like ours. He, he was just talking to people who barely had food, enough food and clothing. Today, oh my goodness gracious me, our culture has become... Uh, super neurotic about food and clothing. Oh, my goodness gracious, television, ad, feed, all the ads, feed on this neurosis. (laughs) And alluring images, every product imaginable about the body, a product for the body, night after night after night. This product will tan your body. This product will pamper your body. This product will take the wrinkles out of your body. This product will close your body. This product is going to drug your body. This product is going to stimulate your body. And on and on and on and on. It's so nauseating. In fact, our culture, our culture is telling us about worries (laughs) that we did not know we have. (laughs) And these worries, it can only succeed in killing our discipleship. Listen, I'm not minimizing the problem. Please understand. I I said earlier we all worry about certain things, but but I'm not minimizing the problem. But it's nearly impossible to live by faith in in the culture we are in. It's so materialistic. There's so many Christians actually understand the nature of God. They understand the promises of God, and yet they fall in this temptation of worry and stay there. And that is why Jesus said, verse 22 all the way to 34, he gives us six, six, mark them down, six reasons why the believer should not worry. I told you I haven't got to the sermon yet. Here's my six-point sermon. (laughs) No, I'm just going to go through them very quickly. The reason believers must never worry, never, is because reason number one is found in this passage because we are God's priority one. Did you know that? We are His priority. Number one priority. Secondly, because we are the recipient of His provision. Thirdly, because we are divinely divinely privileged. Fourthly, we are God's and the recipient of God's preferential treatment. You notice all the Ps, just help you out here. And five, because God has parental blessings to his children, and finally, because we are the source of God's pleasure. Now, listen to me. We're ready to go home now. I mean, this is it, right? But you know I'm not going to do that. It's too early. I want to go through them very, very quickly. It really want to even take me a few minutes, because they're very important. Why should the blood bought, and you are blood bought of the blood of Jesus Christ, heaven-bound children of the living God, why must I never worry? Six reasons. Verses 22 and 23, because we are God's priority, number one priority, because we are at the center of His attention, because we are God's in, in His sight all the time, all the time. Therefore, we must trust your loving Heavenly Father. Can I get an amen? amen. If He feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, <laughs> how much, 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 much higher priority are His children for whom His Son shed His blood? Secondly, verse 24, we're always going to receive His provision. And the reason he chose raven, of all the birds, of all the creatures, he chooses the raven. <laughs> Jesus does this deliberately, because ravens are vultures. They're not even like the ants who, who uh, 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 Solomon said, they, they store food for the winter. They're not like that at all. They, they are mindless. They are vultures. <laughs> they are too dumb to store food yet they survive solely by God's provision for them. How much more valuable we are. Our Heavenly Father will never fail to supply all that He knows we need. David said, I have been young, now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor His children begging for bread. not only that his children are priority one for him, not only that his children are the recipients of his provision, but thirdly, verses 25 and 26, his children have divine privilege. Oh my goodness, if you're not going to shout about this one, I don't know, what are you going to (laughs) do? I did. (laughs) I think throughout history, People always worried about health. I think that's a fact if you read history. I mean, it's, not, it's nothing new, but oh my goodness, now it's a trillion dollar business. <laughs> As you all know, I try to stay fit. I really do. I exercise, I take supplements, I do everything. But I'm not obsessed about it. <laughs> and I think everybody should because our bodies are stewardship. And the Lord convicted me of that 12 years ago when I was abusing my body. And sometimes in the gym, people say to me, are you exercising hard because you want to prolong your life? Boy, I love it because what an opportunity for me to tell. <laughs> now, I say, Jesus said, who of you, but worry, can add one hour to your life? Huh? <laughs> you should see the reaction. Uh, in the elevator just two days ago. Uh, g- a guy was come in with a cane and said something. I said, Oh Lord, I said, he's coming back soon. <laughs> 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 he, he nearly just fell off. And, uh, uh. <laughs> uh. No, Jesus said, none of us. None of us can prolong our life. It's appointed a point of the day. The Bible says appointed a point of the day in which and then judgment. It's appointed a day. Nobody can change that. Nobody can add one hour to their life. As I said, we take care of our body. That's a form of stewardship. In fact, worrying about your health (laughs) will actually make you sicker. Fourthly, you have God's preferential treatment. Look at verses 27 all the way to 29. Here you see clear comparison with the rest of creation. God's children, His redeemed believers have a preferential treatment over all created things. Now, you know, the evolutionists say that man is only a highly developed animal, right? The only thing we have in common with animals and plants is that we're all created by God. From that time on, we're all separate. Now, if you want to believe that you are a descendant of a tree, God bless you. (laughs) That's where it ends. But because humans are uniquely created in God's own image, we are created with the capacity to love, and to reason. Above all, we are created with the capacity to worship God, and God's compassionate preference is for those He made in His own image. But then it goes a little further. We even get a prefer… I love preferential treatment. Don't misunderstand. I really love preferential treatment. No matter where I go, I I want preferential treatment. I (laughs) confess that up front. But this is not just preferential treatment because we are created in God's name. We have further preferential treatment because we are the children of the living God. Beloved, listen to me, some some preachers talk about, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. (laughs) We're all the creation of God, but only the blood-bought children of the living God. They are the children of God. (laughs) In verse 29, it said, You are little faith. You have little faith. It means you're lacking in trust in God's knowledge of your needs. You see? But that's not all. That's not all. Lacking trust in his knowledge to know of your need, but also lacking trust in his power to meet your needs. Can I get an amen? such lack of trust, beloved, listen to me, it dishonors God and produces worry, and sometimes it even restricts God's flow of blessing. God's priority, God's provision, God's privileged children, God's preferential treatment. Fifthly, God's parental blessing to His children, verses 30 and 31. Here, for the first time, our Lord Jesus speaks of believers as God's children. That's why I want you to underwrite it, underline it in your Bible. Beloved, the fatherhood of God is only for his believers. This should lift you to the highest level of joy. It does to me. This should lift you to the highest heaven in praise and thanksgiving. Now, I am aware of the fact, and I know that experientially, there are some people who have negative experience with their earthly fathers. I know that. And sometimes the problem and the error comes when you compare your heavenly father with your experience, the negative experience with your earthly father. Please listen to me. I want you to imagine. The most thoughtful, the wisest, the kindest, the most compassionate father that you could ever imagine having, then multiply that million times and you get close to your Heavenly Father. Can I get an amen? Amen. But Jesus, but Jesus is saying more than that, He is saying that you do not even have to ask. God for these needs. I know this is going to really kind of get some of you having epilepsy. <laughs> you don't even have to ask. Why? Why? Because he already knows that these are your needs. And he's going to meet them and meet all of your needs when you focus is the kingdom of God. When you praise him, adore him and worship him and serve him and sacrifice for him and witness to him for him and being obedient to him. He will meet all your needs. He'll meet all your needs, all of them. In his perfect way. There are times. And I have to confess, it took me time. It takes time in your walk with God to develop this trust. It's just growing in, 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 in your relationship. There's just no doubt about it. But now, there are times there's some needs, desperate needs, and I would say, Lord, you know that I have need. You already know it. You're going to take care of it. Thank you for doing that. Goodbye. I don't do that, but I don't say goodbye, but... <laughs> But I begin to praise Him and thank Him and move on. Get on with my serving. Six, and finally, God takes pleasure in His children. Look at verses 32 all the way to 34. Little flock! Now don't, don't, don't just go past that very quickly, because that is a term of endearment. Little flock. Jim Elliott, who was martyred for Christ, was a missionary in Latin America, said the following. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I have a dear friend in Australia who said to me, through, went through horrendous times, and then God brought him back. And he said, I believe in giving with a warm hand, not a cold hand. Everybody wants to leave everything, you know, to their family. Well, God bless you. That's fine. He said, I believe in giving with a warm hand, not with a cold hand. (laughs) Another friend many years ago used to say to me, he said, Michael, I like to do all my giving while I'm living. So I am knowing where it's going. (laughs) Beloved, it's a cry of my heart and a prayer of my heart for myself, and I pray that for you that we develop a total trust of our Heavenly Father, total trust, not occasional trust, not when things are going well, total trust, so that we can overcome worry God's way. And all of God's people say, praise the Lord. Will you stand up? Prepare your heart with me for the Lord's table. Precious Heavenly Father, I look back at those 72 years of my life, and I give you praise and thanksgiving for your faithfulness to your promises. Not one time, not one time were you unfaithful to your promises. Lord, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you, and as we come to your table, prepare our hearts to grow deeper in our trust of you, in our confidence of all of your promises. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen. Be seated, please.